if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We'd like to welcome back Ben Netterfield today, again on Horse Chats. Ben's been on a few times before. He's a transition and equestrian coach. He helps people to deal with anxiety, fears and trauma. Today we're going to talk about burnout. But before we get started with Ben, I'd just like to remind you about International Horse College and how it was born out of a need to improve safety in the horse industry while considering the welfare of horses. So if you're a horse person, you hold these values and would like to gain government accredited qualifications within the horse industry, then have a look at the wide variety of flexible course options at internationalhorsecollege.com. Now we welcome you back, Ben, are you there? Thanks for having me back. Oh, look, great to have you, Ben. You always give such good information. And today we're going to talk about burnout. Now. If you were going to describe burnout to someone, how would you describe burnout? So generally, burnout is considered a state of emotional and physical and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. And this is where it's different to when you're in that just prolonged stress stage. It's when you've actually gone into the burnout stage itself, you're now starting to disengage from the world or your circumstances or your surroundings. So once you've become or been burnt out, you're feeling totally overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and you constantly can't keep up with the demands of what, what you're doing, whether that's within your writing or within your workplace or within your home life. All those things are overwhelming. And what we often see with people is then they start becoming totally disengaged. Um, they're not socialising. They're not wanting to complete tasks. They're really struggling with every day, just making it through the day, basically. Okay, okay. So, you know, I'm just thinking about what would bring on burnout because we've had COVID and then within Australia we've had the fires and the floods. And But just tell us, is it just that that brings on stress like that or can it be a little bit more individual like family problems and individual problems that a person would have to get burnout? Uh, that's a really good question. Often you're looking at that, subtle difference between, and we talk about, or I talk about a lot with um, my clients and talking about um, life trauma. So in the situation we've just been through, we've all just been through in Canberra here, for instance, um, we had that obviously long, prolonged period of fires. And then we had a, a really huge hailstorm event, which um, caused a lot of damage to cars and houses and, and the university um, did a lot of damage. And then, of course, we went into COVID, you know, the first lockdown and then, you know, all the preceding instability of COVID over the last few years, which often then meant, and then obviously the floods. And sometimes it's it's not something that's directly affecting you. You know, it's, it's just friends and family, things like that. But say if we take the COVID situation where then you've been unable to sometimes take holidays or get a break or... Um, be away from things, you've had to remain in that one place and you feel like you're constantly either at work or within the confines of work and you just haven't had that time to unwind or allow yourself to disengage from those stresses. So often burnout comes in a slow creeping way. So we go from a stress phase to a exceedingly stress phase to when we're now starting to be overwhelmed and burnt out, and that's when that 
when you're in that burnout stage is when you're starting to be disengaged. Um, so often someone can be quite stressed, but engaged, but once they're reaching the burnout, then they're disengaged. And you'll often see that with, with students or with coaches that, you know, they seem disinterested in what you're doing, how you're doing things, why you're doing things, and they just don't seem to be functioning with the same optimism or even optimal um, as they were before. All right, because, you know, think about the horse industry and what starts people with horses, keeps people with horses, keeps them within the industry is the lifestyle and the joy that we have with the connection we have with our horse. So if a person's burnt out and then they ride, and I'm thinking as a rider, can the horses be even more debilitating or does it all of a sudden change because they're now there with their horse and they can connect? I mean, just tell us a little bit about what sort of things as a coach we would expect to see when someone comes for a lesson. Are they burned out in the rest of their life and then all of a sudden because they've got a horse they're okay or does that, <laughs> does that come in to riding as well? It's a really good question because they actually can go both ways and mm. in a very broad sense it depends how it's arrived. So we talk about anxiety is a little bit the same and burnout. It depends if it, how it arrives in your, in your place of joy. So if your horses are your place of joy, hopefully, you know, it depends how it arrives there. So if you're quite burnt out from work at that horses or you're burnt out from family, then sometimes that horses is that little resort that you go to that lets you have that escape and that still allows you to re-energize and, and, and get back into life. However, once it becomes severe burnout, then it's generally all-encompassing. So then all everything is, is a drag. Everything is a, oh, I have to go and do this now. I have to be with my horse 24 hours a day. I have to go and feed it again. But in those early stages, if it's coming from your, say, if your workplace, it can be the revitalizing you need. It can be that little, you know, glimmer of hope where you can regenerate, you can feel back connected with, your life and back connected with your friends that have obviously got the same point of view as you. So it can be a, a wonderful escape for you. However, once it burnout then goes further on, so in other words, you haven't addressed it at all in the workplace, then it can slowly seep into, so it, you become disengaged in everything. So that's that subtle difference between, you know, when you've got sort of low level burnout and you're just feeling quite disconnected with what you're doing, but this is my sense of joy still. However, once it creeps the other way, everything becomes overwhelmingly task that it's it's a job, it's you know, no fun, it's I've just got to be here because I've got to be here. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and would that be the same then? You know, I'm thinking it's different with a rider because a rider might have that outside full-time job and then they come and ride. But what about someone who's working with horses all the time? You know, we get into the horse industry because of the joy and the lifestyle and the connection. So, you know, um, I'm just thinking if you've got, you know, I've got 10 horses to work and it's raining and it's cold and I've got <laughs> yeah, to go miserable. out and do another one. You know, we all have days like that. But we, yeah. what's the difference between just having a day where you just, you know, close your eyes or just, you know, just say, oh, I've just got to keep going, you know? Yeah, this is, it's a funny point because that, that comes under that resilience, you know, and often when we've talked, I think, about this a little bit before, like resilience, especially within the horse industry, is, is one of your greatest assets. Like if you talk to a horse, a horse person, most people have in within the horse industry have 
very strong or very good resilience. And yet, if you just keep going, that resilience can then obviously burn you out even more so because you haven't addressed the underlying problems. So if we look at some of the underlying problems, or one of the main underlying problems as a coach, for instance, or as a rider that's riding for other people, you know, that you know, we call it the empathy trap where you're constantly trying to do, you're often in the industry not only to give to horses, but also you're a giving person. You're trying to give to your clients. You're trying to give to your students. You're trying to make the, their lives as comfortable and as fulfilled as possible. But that can obviously come with a sacrifice to your own. And it's understanding that empathy trap is, you know, am I a good person if I say no? Am I a good person if I put some boundaries for my own mental health, for my own well-being. And we often, especially as coaches, we're often trying to do the right thing by someone else's joy. And so then we forget to protect our own. So we're constantly trying to give and eventually that giving becomes draining and the draining becomes tiring and the tiring becomes exhausting and the exhausting becomes burnout. And that's that slow, slippery slide from wanting to do the best by everyone else and not addressing your own health and well-being. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult thing because if you're a giving person and you're a coach, you, you're trying to make other people and let them fulfil their dreams. And especially when you're helping someone fulfil their dreams, then surely then that should be contentment enough. But if it's coming at the cost, and this is what we look at a lot, you know, what's the cost of that? If I say, and we talked a little bit about this later on, but if I say no, am I allowing myself to recharge and regenerate, which actually allows me to give better longer, or am I slowly being drained and so then I have no recharge facilities and then I, at, in two weeks' time, two months' time, I'm absolutely spent and you know, I'm basically a little puddle on the ground. Right, right. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. What's the empathy trap? So that empathy trap is what we're all thinking about in terms of my, so am I a good person in terms of can I give to other people? So normally you think of most, most coaches, most a lot of horse people that are in the industry are, are normally givers. And then you have people, especially um, if this is their place of joy and they're stressed and their their lifestyle and every other part is is looking for this moment of pleasure and their horses are their moment of pleasure. So you obviously want to make that moment of their pleasure as fulfilling and as wonderful as you can. So then you're often putting aside 
well, does that make me a good person if I say no to that situation? Does it mean that I don't have compassion if I say no to that situation? And it's looking at the fact that you can be a compassionate person, you can be a giving person, but you can still have boundaries. Whereas often we often think of ourselves is if I'm a giving person, am I truly giving if I say no, if I put up boundaries for my own well-being and self-care? All right. So is it purely about rest? That is one of the one of the greatest questions because rest isn't the be-all and end-all. Like so resting is obviously important, um, but then it but then it differs for each individual because part of the initial thing is is definitely getting rest and getting back on top of sleep cycle or, or things like that. But then it depends how you recharge. So in other words, if it's where you're a coach and you, you've been constantly giving to other people, but you haven't had time to ride your own horses. So initially having rest and then putting aside time to go, I want to purely just ride my horses, have time. I'm not rushed to ride or I want to go out and ride. Or I want to you know, go on a trail and ride, you know, things that I'm often not allowing myself to do. Or for some, it's, you know, go on a beach holiday for two weeks, you know, and not get off the hammock, you know, that's and read two books a day, you know, that's, that's the recharge. So whatever finds you to clear your mind and refresh. So think of it more sometimes as refresh and reinvigorate than just rest. The rest is the important first stage, but sort of reinvigorating and refreshing is the second stage. And that depends individually. Like, so some people, it would be, you know, going skydiving five times or, you know, climbing a cliff. And for other people, it would be, you know, sitting on a unicorn, you know, in a pool with a with a martini. You know, that would be their way of, of resting and relaxing and unwinding. So each individual thing is very much the individual person. So if, if a person that likes adrenaline is told to rest by a pool, that, that actually won't be very restful for them. It won't recharge them. Uh, they'll almost be just as bad as they were before. So it's the initial rest, then doing what makes you feel refreshed. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I, I sort of want to change this now and just bring in a concept of bravery. So my, yep. my understanding of bravery is when you understand the risk, but you go ahead and do it anyway. So as, as riders, <laughs> yep. you know, we, we think, yep, well, there's a risk here, you know. It's not like, yep. you know, a, a little seven-year-old Sally comes along and wants to pat a pony and get on a horse. There's a risk involved. Yep. You need to go to a coach yep. who knows you know, how to cope and you need to be on the right horse in the right situation and everything. But then even more so as we go on and start to train young horses and show jump and event and everything, we, we understand there's a risk, but we go ahead and do it anyway. So we talk about bravery, but there's another sort of bravery here, isn't there? Just by, you know, I, I just think as, as coach and being resilient and you just want to keep going and make sure, be able to work through it. But do we have to be brave by talking to someone and asking for help? I mean, who should we go to for help? That's a really good question because it's it's a really funny thing in our industry. We would often, you know, if someone says, oh, what have you done for your horse? Oh, I've got the farrier, I've got the vet, I've got the, you know, the massage, I've got the chiropractor, I've got this, I've got that. And, the, you know, I've, I've sorted through 10,000 things and I've made sure he's saddles fitting well and, and do it. Oh, what have you done for yourself? Oh, nothing. No, that's, you know, that's someone else's. No, no, don't, 
don't talk about me, don't talk about my self-care. Yep. And so one of the bravest things often is actually understanding your own self-care and that you you need self-care, like that you need to under, to be available to letting yourself have health, uh, um, have well-being and have rest. So as you said really well, that sometimes the bravest thing is actually asking for help. And you know, it, we're often really good about asking for help for our horse. We're really good about asking for help for our our fellow competitor or our fellow rider, but we're not very good at asking for help for ourselves. So reaching out, so sometimes it's as simple as reaching out and just talking to your fellow, you know, your fellow rider, your fellow colleague. And often, you know, communications within coaches, you know, sometimes we don't talk about enough of the stress we, we talk about techniques, we talk about, you know, what's, you know, who's doing what in terms of competitions and things like that, but we don't often talk about our own mental health or if we're struggling or, and yet if we often open up, everyone's, you know, often in the same boat or they know of someone, oh, that, yeah, I know that person was really struggling through this as well. And it's amazing then how much once you realise that you're not alone with something, that you know, others have been feeling the same thing or have gone through the same things, how much a relief. It gives you that validation that those feelings aren't a sign of weakness and, once again, that I have to be resilient to work through them. So just often talking with your fellow rider, talking with your coach, you know, talking about those things. And then, to be honest, if, if you're not getting validation or if you're not getting, you know, it's not coming back with kindness, then it's looking at the culture around you. Like, are you in a culture that is actually a little toxic? Is that culture not suited to where you need to be? And so then it's, if you find the right tribe, you know, that they are sometimes one of the greatest steps for your better health um, in that first step forward. And so it's talking in that situation and then if you need to see a, a health professional of any sort, like even just your doctor is, is a good start. But it's often, it's often talking and validating with your fellow, fellow community members, your fellow tribe, that can be a big step forward to then allowing yourself to say, you know what, I, maybe I do need to, to have a look at my lifestyle and look at all the pressures I've got in my lifestyle and take a step back and, and take an actual genuine rest. Mm-hmm. Mm. Is that when we bring in the power of no? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a, and that's uh, one of the greatest things that, like a book that I read recently, or not recently, but a little while ago, you know, which was, you know, Boundary Boss. So it talked a lot about having that power to say no, and it's looking at the fact that you recognise what's happening, um, you release from what's happening and then you respond to what's happening and that gives you that power to reset rather than you know that automatic yes I'll try and squeeze you in yes I'll try and juggle everything around to to make that happen because if you think of that as I'm saying yes here the big picture means I must be saying no to something else so whether I'm saying no to family whether I'm saying no to my own horse whether I'm saying no to my own well-being all those things come at a cost at some point. And so once you understand that, then you understand I've only got finite resources and I've certainly only got finite time in any one day, any one week, any one month. So once again, because we talked about resilience earlier, you know, sometimes we have to show 
within the horse industry, a lot of resilience, you know, within a week, within a month, within a, a show season. But if that show season is, you know, 365 days, you know, for the next 10 years, then you are definitely going to burn out at some point. So saying no allows you to put your time into something else, into maybe just your own better health, which means that you are a happier, more giving person later on rather than a jaded, you know, very tired, very disconnected person in the next week or so. Now, we all strive to achieve higher goals, but this whole drive for perfectionism and the micromanagement is that, you know, we can achieve higher goals by just delegating. And there's a bit of a bit of a saying, you know, if you delegate, you're, the other person's only going to get it 95% right. They're never going to get it exactly <laughs> the same as what you can do. You know, you can do it. No one can do it like me. You know, there's, so this yeah. is yeah, perfectionism. Yeah. Does that, does that bring on burnout? Is that, you know, am I, that, am I sort is- of. Yeah, one of the bigger forms of burnout, or the, as you said, like that no one else can do it like I can. That's, I think, one of the biggest traits that we have in our, because once again, we're caring for an animal, we're caring for someone else who is vulnerable in certain situations, and we take on that per- responsibility in a very personalised way, obviously. And, you know, the greatest thing we all hear is, oh, no one can look after him like I can. And this is, now, we all have our own ways. We all have our own little things that we want to be able to do for our horse or, or even our riders. And, but then, as we said before, that's starting to come at a cost. So in other words, as you said, if, if someone else is looking after a horse to 90% of, of what you do or even 80%, that generally means they're pretty well cared for. Like that horse is, is probably well-fed, well-rugged, you know, looking for any cuts, bruises, scratches, you know, it's making sure that nothing's happened in its paddock and things like that. So so the majority of people, that will be able to be possible. And so if the cost of the extra 10 to 20% means I'm constantly going to be on the edge of burnout or burnout, which means if I do burnout, I have to take long extended period times away, is that price too much to pay? So it's then allowing ourselves, and this is a big thing, allowing ourselves to let someone else take responsibility or take action to do certain tasks. And that can be a a big thing and you want to step into it slowly and step into it small and step into it in, in circumstances that you do have some say in it rather than now I am totally burnt out and I get no say in what's going to happen with my horses or with my livestock or with my partner or with anything like that. Um, so it's better to try and address those things and understand those things and have time management and be time realistic rather than I'll, I'll just somehow extend my day to 25 hours and that's the way I'll manage it. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep that balanced, haven't we? Yes, yes, very much so. Yep, yep. Ben, this has been very good. Now, if people feel that they're, you know, maybe not even burnt out, but just would like to talk to you a little bit more or know someone who's burnt out, 
The best way to contact you, those details will be on your page at Horse Chats. If you go to horsechats.com and just search for Ben Netterfield, of course. And Ben's been on a few times before. So even now, before this actually gets up on the page, you'll still get his contact details. Is that the best way? Or would you like to just say now, you know, how to contact or a phone number or something? The best way is probably my email, which is bnetterfield at me.com. Okay. And that's usually the best way because that's, I don't know about you guys, but when we have so many different platforms in terms of being able to get in touch, it gets a little confusing. Whereas <laughs> certainly for first contact, if it comes through via the email, that's probably the, the most basic, easy way for me to keep track of and then be able to get back in touch with people and give them um, any help that they would need in terms of advice or or just looking at ways of strategies of understanding, you know, what they're going through. Yep, yep, yep. Ben, brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. That's okay. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 